Well, I'm just so grateful to be here with you today. I have the privilege of wrapping up week four of the four weeks that we have been covering the merry-go-round, how to stop when life starts spinning. So David shared with you how to stop the spinning of fear and comparison and when we have a grudge. And I am so excited to talk to you about how to stop the spinning with the overwhelmed life. Because if you know me, you know that I am a student of the overwhelmed life. Uh, Because it's been something that literally from the time I was a child, I was just always going in a hurry. Um, And the last few years has really been what I would call a classroom. This world has been a classroom where the Lord has been very patiently and kindly connecting with me and teaching me how to stop that cycle and get back into his his rhythms. Uh, But first, because we are one church in many locations, I wanna make sure that I welcome everybody. So if you are joining us online or on television, if you are in one of our physical locations, downtown, east or west, I want you to know that we're so grateful that you're here joining us today and excited for what God has for all of us to learn, uh, including me. Uh, So before we dive into the overwhelmed life, I wanna show you a little bit about me by showing you a picture of my family because when I talk about overwhelmed, I need to show you my four children um, because they are amazing. So there's David, he's so handsome and the only one with arms long enough to take a selfie of all of us because I have these T-Rex arms. So David very kindly uh, takes selfies when we go on hikes and walks. Uh, Hayden is 17, Ellie is 12, Titus is almost eight. He would want me to say that. He's seven, and then Bo is one. I'm not gonna tell you how old David and I are. Um, But uh, our family during this season has been enjoying a lot of hikes, and I felt it was necessary for me to introduce them to you as we walk through this process because they're a huge part of it. In fact, uh, one of the things that really started a breakthrough for me in this overwhelmed life was uh, time with Titus several years ago It was on my birthday, which is why I remember it. I know that sounds silly, Um, but it was time for him to go to bed, and he is the kid that will uh, have to get up about 20 times. So when I say goodnight, that's goodnight number one, and then by the time he's actually in bed, you know, it's 30 minutes later, and we're both wiped. So we started reading a devotional because I thought it would help us both focus on Jesus as we're trying to, like, get him to go to bed. So I want to read from you uh, something that is from a children's devotional but was profoundly impactful for me in this whole conversation of being overwhelmed. Hurry, hurry, busy, busy, big important things to do. No time for this, no time for that. I can't stop now, too much to do. But why? Jesus is not in a hurry, so I'm not either. I think I'll go spend some time with him. So a few years ago, Titus would have been about three and a half or four, and uh, could not understand why mommy was crying after I read the devotional. Um, But I was overwhelmed. I would call myself a person that was pathologically busy. Uh, And I cannot describe it in any other way. But I know that when we say overwhelmed, it could mean a number of things for us. So I want to define it right now so that you understand and we can frame what we're talking about when we say the overwhelmed life. Uh, Overwhelmed is when we carry too much too fast. Our pace is not sustainable, our arms are full, and we're just going. That's what I mean when I say overwhelmed. And we can use things like stress or uh, a number of other things that you can think of, but that's what I'm talking about right now when we're going to talk about this. Um, And our nation, pre-COVID, was at a stress epidemic 
in our levels of, of what was happening in our world and our health. And I want to walk you through a few things. I did some research because I really wanted to try to frame what is happening specifically in our nation, in our own lives, in the lives of our families and neighbors and even strangers that we're interacting with. As the body of Christ, this stuff has to matter to us. We've got to know what's happening in the lives of people. Uh, so first, the average American office worker gets 121 emails every day. That's a lot of emails, right? Uh, we, on average, check our phones every 12 minutes. It's a lot of screen time. This is why people are always bumping into each other and stuff, because we're just, you know, looking. We'll talk about that later. Uh, Americans make up 4.4% of the world's population, but we consume 85% of the antidepressants and opioids. Most devastating out of all of this information that I was looking at was that we, in this generation, are lowering the life expectancy in this country as 35 to 55-year-olds make up the highest percentage of what is known as deaths of despair. These are deaths that happen because somebody is struggling so hard and they cannot see a way out or through. They might be too afraid or overwhelmed to even tell somebody what's going on. Um, and so 35 to 55-year-olds are making up the highest number of those deaths. Those include things like suicide, um, liver failure due to alcohol, and uh, overdose. It's a big deal. And it's got to matter to us because we are carrying more than our arms can hold at a pace that we cannot sustain, and it's destroying us. It's destroying our peace, our hearts, our relationships with one another, the way we interact, the way we live, even the kingdom impact that God has called us to. And so we've got to talk about it. Uh, but Americans in general have a pretty tough relationship in history with time. So I used to be a history teacher. I know David always says he's going to be a history nerd for a minute. I like to refer to it as history rock star um, because I think people who like history are pretty cool, all right? So I'm going to give you a history lesson. So whether or not you enjoy it, I'm going to do it. Um, so in the year 200 BC... The sundial came into existence. Before that, it was, well, I'll get up when the sun comes up, and I'll go to bed when the sun goes down, and I'll eat when I'm hungry. The sundial was the first like, representation of time, visual display of time, other than the sun setting or going down, uh, rising or setting. Uh, and so it's wild what happened when this happened. There were people that were so angry that they wrote poems about it. That's how they expressed themselves. You know, they were so upset. Uh, so in 200 BC, the sundial came. Uh, years later, in 1330, the first public clock was on display in Milan. This is what historians would say just turned the tables for Westerners with our relationship with time, because we had this visible, monstrous thing in our cities now that was essentially kind of giving us this artificial time that started telling us what to do and when to do it. We stopped relying on our own uh, bodies and what nature was telling us, and we started listening to the ding. We started being set by an alarm. I think we still hate those, right? They hated those then, too. Uh, in the 1790s, the Industrial Revolution brought machines and all kinds of technology that was intended to help us be better and more efficient, to actually have more spare time to play and enjoy our families, what it did was confuse humans into thinking that we were now machines. So we tried to keep up and start functioning. But unlike machines, we need rest and rhythms. So the Industrial Revolution was another turning point. In 1879, uh, Thomas Edison created the light bulb. 
which they're awesome. I'm really grateful for those. But that artificial light lengthened our workday and took away our sleep. So we went from an average of 11 hours of sleep a night. That sounds like a dream, actually. I don't even know what that's like. I can't even think about it. We went from 11 hours of sleep a night now to an average of seven. It doesn't sound like a lot when you're just thinking about it, but that's like almost 30 hours a week that we're losing in sleep, and I would like some of that back. 1879 was a huge turning point. And lastly, and I would say um, one of the biggest changes in our relationship with time came in 2007 because Steve Jobs and Apple introduced the iPhone. It was a big deal. Not only because all of those emails that we're getting every day that I talked about earlier are now in our pocket, we have the whole world at our fingertips. Again, the accessibility could bring a lot of good things, but it also just is this mounting stress that's constantly on us to do and to be available and accessible at all times. Uh, one of the things that it also did uh, was lower our attention span. So iPhones in our pocket or Androids, I don't know, whatever you use, uh, they're said to have minimized our ability to stay focused for long periods of time. So humans are now behind the goldfish in our attention span. I do not know how they tested this, <laughs> but I do know that it's out there. So um, goldfish, they have a, an attention span of nine seconds. Uh, people have an attention span of eight. Uh, one of the other things about the iPhone that I think is just Fascinating, especially in the context of hurry and feeling overwhelmed uh, as followers of Christ, is that uh, historians say that the iPhone made us essentially omnipresent. We now have access to be all over the world at our fingertips in conversations, watching TV. It's made us feel like we're everywhere at one time. We're surrounded by people, but we're lonelier than we've ever been. It makes us hurry. It creates anxiety and stress. And a hurried life is a problem. And we're going to walk through just some of the reasons that it is. I know that you probably already know all of these, but I think it's important for us to detail what a hurried life does and how it's not good for us. Um, a hurried life keeps us from knowing God. It decreases our compassion and our empathy, which I would contend we, we need now more than ever. It increases anxiety and depression and addiction. It destroys meaningful relationships and a hurried life leads us to a superficial existence. We are rushing so fast that we forget to see what's even around us and who's around us. We forget to take care of ourselves. A hurried life is a problem. From the beginning of creation, God set our life in rhythms. When we get outside of those rhythms, chaos ensues. And when there's chaos, that's when everything starts falling apart. So I want to take us to the Word and see what God says about time and rhythm. So we're going to go to Ecclesiastes 3. One of my favorites uh, in the Bible. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. 
What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So Solomon is the author of Ecclesiastes, and what he is telling us is that um, he lived a life that was so full. He was known as the wisest man to have ever lived. And he is telling us from a life where he had everything he could have ever wanted and had done everything he could have ever wanted to do, he's pointing us to a better, a simpler way at God's pace. So I want to look at a few things um, from Ecclesiastes 3. First, there is a time for everything. Everything here is a comprehensive picture of the, of the world. He's telling us that life is full, and he's giving us some really extremes on either end as we walk through that, that we may not each experience on our own, but we'll experience some of them. So he's, he's saying, I'm talking to all of you. There's a time for everything. And what he's telling us is, uh, there's a lot of things that we want to do, and I often hear myself say, or I hear other people say, there's just not time for that. What Solomon is pointing us to is that when we live in rhythm with God, what God wants us to do, there will always be time for. But we can't always do everything we want to do and everything God wants us to do. Um, and I would say that God's way is far more fulfilling. So that's the first. The second thing I want to just point out is that he has said eternity in the human heart. Uh, God has put something within us that longs for eternity with him. Heaven. He wants us to be focused on that even as we live life here. Having eyes for eternity can change the way that we live our lives, the way we schedule our lives, the way we see people, the pace that we set ourselves at, because we're not just living life for us. We're living life to honor him and to care for the people here with us. We're looking towards the future for something more, but taking it day by day. It's his pace. He set eternity in our hearts. So God has made a time for everything. He set eternity in our hearts, but we get stuck in this loop. And I think often we forget some critical truths about who we are to him. And I would say, in my experience, the problem that we have is we forget our value. We get in such a rush trying to keep up and trying to be everything to everybody that we forget our value. We start looking for it in other things and with other people. Uh, and I wanted to remind you, because scripture is so full of all kinds of promises and words that he speaks over us, telling us how much we matter and how valuable we are to him, uh, but we often forget. So there are four things that I have uh, just gotten out of the word that I want to share with you about your value and mine. The first one is that you are loved. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The next one, you are his. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. You are worthy. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. And you are purposed. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I think when we forget uh, those truths, we often start getting into trouble because we start looking at what everybody else is doing and try to fit in line. Uh, we get in a hurry. And I was thinking just about every single time I've struggled in my life 
or I've had a bad day. Um, every worst moment has been when I have been in a hurry. Um, as a mom, when I'm trying to buckle a toddler into a car seat and we are trying to leave, um, when I'm at the checkout line and the person in front of me is writing a check, um, which sometimes I am that person, so I have to be careful. Maybe you're on construction, I don't know, anywhere in the Black Hills. Um, but when we're in a hurry, we often just start changing our behaviors. And I have been in a hurry for as long as I can remember. Um, it used to kind of be a running joke in my family and even in my elementary school. How embarrassing is that? That I was like seven in a hurry. I couldn't even drive. Um, but I, I, from a very early age, um, just knew that I loved to love people. I loved to connect with people and I loved to meet needs and provide support. And what, what I know now and what I would have told anybody else is that God, God put that in you. He gave you that gift and that purpose so that you could see people and take care of people. And so that's what I was doing. But I realized really early on, I think it, it's probably something that we just subconsciously even do where the busier you are, the more successful you must be, uh, the more you're helping, the more you belong, the more value you have. I started buying into those things and so I was just a person with ceaseless activity because I felt like it brought me so much tremendous value. Um, I remember just intermittently feeling overwhelmed because I never took time for myself. I never said no. If you asked for anything, I had a friend that once called uh, for Mountain Dew and chocolate chip cookies. Uh, and she'd gotten my number because I was helping at a local nonprofit, and I would bring her Mountain Dew and chocolate chip cookies. Who does that? I did. I had no boundaries. I just was going and going and going, and I was tired. I was worn out. I was exhausted. I couldn't put words around it, though. Have you ever just been so overwhelmed that you say, I'm just so overwhelmed, and then somebody says, well, what's going on? And you're like, I don't even know where to start and you just start listing off everything that's happening in your day. Um, what, I, what I know now is that I was also, when I would get hurt, I would just kind of pack it back and sign up for more things and just get busier, and then I wouldn't have to deal with any of it. Um, and I just felt like world, the, my world was kind of crashing down, and I uh, sat down with David and said, I'm not doing so great, and I need to rest. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, I feel like I'm taking a nosedive because I'm trying to be everything to everybody and I'm so lonely and I'm so overwhelmed and I feel so unseen, but I can't stop. I don't know how to stop. I was on the merry-go-round and merry-go-rounds, even in elementary school, terrified me because I was always the kid that was like, oh, you want to push? Fantastic, I'll get on. And then I was trapped forever um, and that's what I had done to myself. I was, I was on this spin cycle of always having too much to do. And so I sat down with David and I shared that. Um, it was right after we read this devotional. So Titus came out and went, something's wrong with mom. And so I sat down with David and said, I, something, I just can't, I can't, I can't do it anymore. Um, so we hit the pause button and had a conversation. If you are feeling overwhelmed or if you know somebody that is just feeling overwhelmed, you don't have to just like stop everything and throw your phone away and move out into a cabin in the woods where no one can talk to you again. You can just push pause. You can say, there's a lot going on right now and I need to breathe and I need to process. And that's what I did. Uh, I went on a retreat and got some counseling, which I'd never had before. It's amazing to talk to somebody that doesn't even know you and won't judge you and you can just go 
here's my life, here's what's happening, and here's where I'm hurting. Um, it changed my whole life because I got such a new perspective on what was happening and why I was doing things. Um, I feel like for the first time in my life ever, I got to think about who I was and who God made me to be. I got to rest. I got to not have to be the one doing everything, and it was okay. Nobody ever, had ever told me that I needed to do that, but I felt that pressure to do it. Um, and at the core of it, I was just loathing myself. I didn't think I was enough if I wasn't doing. Um, and that self-rejection like, hurt me so bad. Um, there's a quote that I read during that season. It's by uh, theologian Henry Nouwen. Uh, he said, over the years, I have come to realize that the greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us beloved. Being the beloved is the core truth of our existence. And I would say that so many things in our world right now that tell us what we're supposed to look like and who we need to be and how busy and where we should live and what our job should look like, everything is shouting the opposite of that. But God says, here's who you are, here's how much I love you, and I want to walk with you. So what I would say is the antidote for self-rejection, which I believe often leads to this overwhelmed life, is to get back into rhythm with God. And that's what I had the privilege of doing. It was the most humbling experience ever to say, I need a break, which um, I'm sure everyone that knew me was like, finally. Um, but I, I had to just hit the pause button. And uh, God brought me to Matthew, uh, Matthew 11, one of, one of my favorite um, pieces of scripture because it's so powerful for so many ways and I could just talk about it for hours. I won't. Um, but Matthew 11, come to me all of you who are burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and, and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, each of us is carrying a yoke. We... Um, might be holding up our hurts. We might be carrying um, expectations or failures. Uh, we might be carrying something that we are hoping for that may not happen, stresses, anything. We're, we're carrying, we're just loading ourselves up. Um, a yoke, by the way, because most of you probably don't use one, it's a piece of farming equipment. Yay! Um, I grew up on a farm and never saw one of these before in person, but um, it's a piece of farming equipment. So Jesus, when he's talking, is talking to people that would have known what that was and what that looked like. Um, but in this context, a yoke also uh, is the content and the character and the contours of a teacher's way of life. The rabbis in that time would have been teaching and, and sharing their yoke with the students. The content, the co character, and the contours of a teacher's way of life. Jesus is saying, learn from me and live life as I live life. Walk in my pace. God has set eternity in our hearts and he invites us to walk with him towards it. So how do you do that? Because that was one of the things I was walking through in my time. I was like, this all sounds really great, but I don't even know where to start. Um, and so I simply went back to what the scripture said. Come to me. Jesus is inviting us to rest. It's not the kind of rest where we just veg out. It's not like getting home, making dinner for the kids, putting them to bed, and then turning Netflix on, which is what I was doing all the time. And then I just wake up the next morning tired, and I do it all over again. 
it's, it's not an escape. It's inviting the Lord to come with you on your journey and process, where am I trying to be more than I should be or need to be? Where am I trying to carry too much? The next one is take my yoke. Your best schedule is the schedule that God already established. A weekly day of rest and worship, time with him, time with your people. Let him set the pace. It sounds like so big and overwhelming, but I literally started taking it one day at a time. I kept working. I kept my phone. I did change my number. Uh, I started making decisions from the beginning of my day to the end of my day. How am I going to create rhythms in my life that honor the Lord, where I'm not overreaching to try to do more than I should or be more than I need to be? I started hiking. I brought these up because these, this is like my fifth pair of shoes because I started running and hiking during that season because I didn't want to just be mentally and spiritually well. I wanted to be physically better. So I started spending time in the woods alone, which probably doesn't sound safe, but it was so healing to my heart. Um, and I, I am always so grateful for the opportunity and the privilege to live here where we can go do that. Um, I just spent time every morning with the Lord, and I give my day to Him. That means I have to get up early because I have four children. You might have a lot going on too. You may not be able to get up as early as you like want to, but at some point, handing over your day to the Lord. I want you to have those rhythms and that freedom. And so I'm going to come back to, come to me and take my yoke. And let the Lord show you what rhythms in your life can look like and how they can set you free. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much um, for the way that you see us and love us. God, our world is going so fast. Lord, there's so much hurt. There's so much anger. There's so much stress. God, we are overwhelmed. And it feels like every day there's just more that gets piled on. But Father, you see us, each and every one of us, right where we are. You know us and you love us. And you have invited us into your presence and to walk your pace. And God, I just pray for each and every person, wherever they're at, whatever's going on in their lives, Lord, I pray that right in this moment, you would remind them of who they are in you and how much they matter. And Lord, if they are striving uh, for things that are not of you or for you or from you, God, I pray that you would help them to set those down and pick up what you want them to pick up, pick up what you have for them. God, I pray that you would help us to be a people um, who are living in rhythm with you so that our eyes can see people and have time to meet people where they are. Lord, when we are hurried and overwhelmed, we are not able to see uh, our friends and our coworkers and strangers who, who need to be heard and sat with and listened to. God, I just, I just pray that you would help us to show people who you are um, by the way that we set our rhythms God, I thank you for the way that you have worked in my life and those around me. And God, I pray that you would give that freedom to everybody. Lord, I am still a student, but I've learned so much and I'm so grateful. Lord, we love you and we hand this overwhelmed life over to you. And we pray that you would do what you do uh, to glorify you and to help us. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.